couple things during the break that people pointed out to me. Um, the first thing is questions, the true and false ones that I didn't go through. Um, seven and nine, the energy levels of a photon and the morpho butterfly, that was a blue butterfly. We've covered that material already. Uh, if you don't know the answer to question eight, that's okay because we haven't covered that yet. Next week we're going to talk about the eye um, and rods and cones in details and certain responses of cones and, and how many we have of each color. So that will be next week. You can always uh, sort of Google it and I'm sure you'll find the answer pretty quickly, but uh, we will be covering that. Uh, another thing is when you want to save things in this assignment, so you can see, for instance, I'll write, you know, something. And um, once you, anytime you go in, remember you can go in as many times as you like. When you want to save, say, this answer, you scroll down to the bottom of the assignment. And you say, finish attempt. Finish attempt is not the same as submit attempt. Finish attempt will bring you to a screen like this that will give you a summary of what you've put in for each question. Um, it will save some answers. So I've written things in 2, 3, and 13. So it saves that. Those are not yet answered. To go back and answer that was not yet answered, you simply return to attempt. And then only when you're ready to submit everything for the final time do you choose submit all and finish is that that's the submission button otherwise you can return and it'll bring you back to the stuff that you wrote if everything works well but it may not uh, and if Moodle's really busy sometimes they have Moodle hiccups and Moodle crashes it may not save everything so I can't emphasize enough save please save your work often and save it in a separate document I think we discussed the assignment in some pretty good detail. So let us move on to the second part of the lecture, which um, is it's more review because next week we're going to start different topics. So we're going to transition away. I mean, you've seen photons, photon energy values, E equals H nu so many times that um, you're, you're ready for a change probably. Next week, we will be doing the eye, the structure of the eye, how we see light and dark, how we see color, um, and also the psychological, some of the psychological responses that certain colors have for us as, as human beings sort of inherently. Until next week, though, we will talk about photons some more to help you with your assignment. So photon energy values is given by E equals H nu, where H is Planck's constant, and nu is another way to express frequency, taking into account that the wave moves through a vacuum at a constant speed c. So nu is F over c. Why am I showing you this again? Because I'm going to show you another sample calculation. 
one of the questions in the assignment talks about the hydrogen atom and it asks you what energy the electron, I'll have to change that on the assignment, what energy the electron gains um, if it absorbs a photon of a certain um, wavelength. So in order to do a calculation that would be similar to that, let's look at what would be the energy, what would be E in joules of a green photon which is typically peaks at about 550 nanometers. So again, we write our formula out, make sure we recall the units properly. We can write out our constants, which are 6.626 times 10 to the minus 34 and 3 by 10 to the 8. And everything looks pretty good here, except for this nanometers. We want meters, so we convert lambda from nanometers to meters, which is a really easy conversion because you know that a nanometer is just 10 to the minus 9 meters. So 550 meters is equal to 550 times 10 to the minus 9. Now if you move a decimal point over two places, instead of being 10 to the minus 9, it becomes 10 to the minus 7. So you could write you could either write 550 by 10 to the minus 9 or 5.50 by 10 to the minus 7. And this is just the conventional way that we write it in scientific notation with the one um, number in front of the decimal point. So filling this in, it looks messy, but really it's just multiplying these two, dividing by this and you get a, num uh, a kind of a crazy small number of 3.61 by 10 to the minus 19 joules. Once you get to, oops, whoops. All right, come back. When you get to this step uh, in the assignment, the assignment has an additional step that asks you to convert joules to electron volts. And when you look up electron volts, you'll be happy to see that the electron volts converts really, really nicely to joules. So there's not a lot of stuff to do there, but I'm going to leave that for you to do. All right. So moving on. Last time we talked about what an atom would look like. These, these things, these photons that are giving the colors that we see, that we're trying to understand for the course in understanding color, what do they look like. And we had the development of atomic theory, starting with the ancient Greeks who just postulated about how matter is, and moving on to, as you saw in the video, in the 1700s, the mid-1700s, people started experimenting, physicists and chemists started experimenting with gases and hot gases and seeing what kind of light they emit and using optics, different kinds of optics, to send this light in different directions and bend it in different ways. So in 1904, we had J.J. Uh, Thompson, who was also the discoverer of the electron, he said, well, this old idea of atoms isn't quite right. The atom is got to have these charged particles in it because he was able to actually measure charges 
using a device called a cathode ray two, he was able to see that there was a negative charge, electrical charge, and a positive electric charge in atoms. So he said that the atom has got to be some conglomeration like plum pudding with these negative electrons interspersed throughout. Then Niels Bohr and Ernest Rutherford in 1913 uh, came up with the planetary model of the atom. As opposed to Thompson saying that it's this compact plum pudding that's dense, they said it was mainly empty space um, and the electrons orbited. And then that's where we got quantum physics. Later on in quantum physics, we learned that the electrons could only orbit at certain values and photon emission and photon absorption, etc. This particular um, diagram is called the electron cloud model. So for our purposes, we're going to use the Bohr model. We can say that it's like a planetary system just for the conceptual purposes, although it's kind of wrong. Um, because electrons location at any point in time is a probability. You can't know it. it, it so what these, these sort of cones and 3D structures are is trying to express the probability of an electron being in a certain place at a certain time. So how did we figure this stuff out? Last time we said Friday, we have a cliffhanger, and it's Friday. So a video for home, yet another video on the history of light. This one is the same guy who did the morpho butterfly video. Don't be put off by the title of the series. It's, it's okay to be smart. It's a little condescending, but it's a good video. So take a look at this video at home. Um, and depending on how early we finish, maybe we'll take a look at it today if you wish to stay. So going back to this history, let's take a look at each of those steps and each of the people involved. So a quick tour when we're talking about the history of light and temperature, that's the history of color essentially, because understanding light and temperature gives us the understanding of color. So back in the 1700s, uh, scientists were really starting to do experiments where they recorded painstakingly um, observations about different forms of matter. This is a picture of uh, Antoine Lavoisier, who is regarded as the father of modern chemistry, and this is his wife Marie, who also was a scientist in her own right, although she, she wasn't a professional scientist. She had a great interest in his experiments and uh, understood science. So he would be probably the first starting step in our understanding of color. Later on in the course, we are going to talk about chemical reactions. Um, the first lecture I had mentioned, and also on the Moodle site, there's an article by John Nassau called The 15 Causes of Color. It's a dense scientific article and um, I probably will post it for you to take a look at. Uh, a lot of it is very, very, you know, it's really mainly advanced chemistry and quantum physics. But 
the 15 causes of color all come down to what we've been talking about so far. Photons being exchanged, and in terms of chemical substances, chemicals being burned, chemicals changing state, atoms bonding in different ways. We're going to talk about chemical bonds, covalent bonds, ionic bonding, uh, redox reactions. All of these things contribute together to give everything color. And especially in gemstones um, and minerals, we have specific reactions that are going on to imbue them with a beautiful hue that you see. But going back to uh, Lavoisier, who kind of started it all, uh, he gave us a, f a fundamental experiment, uh, knowledge of the atom, and he set the stage for understanding that in chemical reactions, when you burn something, or when it changes from one state to another, mass is always conserved in some way. We talked about conservation of energy, Newton's second law. This is slightly different. This is conservation of mass, but he, dis he discovered this by burning things and seeing what happened. Uh, he was also kind of an interesting character. He wanted, his father uh, wanted him to be a lawyer, so he took a degree in law, didn't like it, and became a chemist. And he also uh, sold tobacco, which got him into a lot of, of trouble um, in the French Revolution because he was taking profits of the people, and he was guillotined, unfortunately, at age 51. And who knows what else he could have done later on. After Lavoisier, we can move to John Dalton. Dalton is always credited as the founder of modern atomic theory. Dalton's experiments and detailed observations, again, told us a lot about atomic theory. He is the person who coined the actual term atom. Uh, he basically stated the same thing that Democritus stated, the Greek philosopher, that atoms couldn't be subdivided. In that, he was wrong. We know atoms can be subdivided. We know that they, they were divided into electrons and protons, and those can be divided in even further into quarks and, and other kinds of particles. In any case, he gave us our, our basic properties. And he also had a very important point that he contributed, which is last time or a couple times lectures ago, we talked about mixtures, compounds versus elements. Remember that an element is a pure substance. Dalton understood this and said that the element is the pure substance. You can take any sample of any mass of that substance and it will be the same as another element, another sample of that substance. So an element is the purest form of matter that we have. And those are the elements on the periodic table. They can be combined with each other or combined with a number of other elements to make compounds, and those compounds can be combined to make mixtures. It's kind of interesting trivia is he also assigned atomic weights. So when we had the periodic table in last time, we had uh, the squares of the periodic table. I mean, basically you have a square that looks like this, 
and you have the chemical symbol of the element, so H for hydrogen, and then you have some number up here. That's the atomic number. That's the atomic weight or atomic, sorry, atomic mass, basically. And for hydrogen, it's one. And that tells us it has one proton, one neutron, one electron. In terms of color, though, Dalton, maybe from looking or trying to see the very, very small microscopic, he discovered colorblindness as he found he himself was colorblind. And he was colorblind in the red-green um, sort of area. And we'll talk about that again next time when we talk about cones and colorblindness. And the red-green colorblindness often affects men more often than it does women. But Dalton was really intrigued by colorblindness and spent most of the rest of his life studying colorblindness. And actually, colorblindness is now sometimes called Daltonism. Okay, so Wien. Wilhelm Wien, a German physicist, who won the Nobel Prize in 1911. And the important thing about Wien is he created something called Wien's displacement law, which related the wavelength, the maximum wavelength of emission or overall wavelength that something emitted or at to the object's temperature. So that has implications for us in terms of color. So he combined, he was the first person really to combine this idea of temperature or energy in the atom overall with electromagnetic theory, electromagnetic radiation. And when we talk about black bodies, he is the person who first formulated a law about how a black body's temperature should be related to the wavelength it emits. Again, that's color, but he was also wrong. This works at small approximations, this law. But if you remember, we talked about this ultraviolet catastrophe, which when you have a spectrum like this, when it peaks up into the ultraviolet range, very, very high energies that we can't see, Wheel's displacement law does not apply. It predicts that the temperature should go, as a wavelength becomes infinitely small, a temperature should be infinitely high. And that doesn't happen in nature. We do see high temperatures, but they're not infinitely high with smaller and smaller wavelengths. So we learned uh, earlier, later in this, in early in the century that Wien's displacement law didn't quite work for black body radiation. So moving along, how, how do we make it work? And this kind of moved on with J.J. Thompson, who is the discoverer of the electron, who tried to pick apart parts of the atom. Before we were talking about charges and atoms, he actually he was trying to figure out why this energy didn't just, the temperature didn't just go soaring as the wavelength decreased. That's part of what he was trying to figure out, but he was also just trying to figure out the structure of matter. And his contributions led us 
to understand eventually black body radiation, and that there's another different law, which is quantum mechanics, which Planck basically postulated and proved that photons can only exist at certain energy levels. They are quantized, and therefore the temperature doesn't go infinite. It's not a continuous spectrum of energies. Only certain limited values exist, and the temperature is finite. Going back to Thompson, he used a device called a cathode ray tube, which you may not think you're familiar with, but if you grew up before flat screen TVs, you probably are familiar with it. Those large TVs um, ha are cathode ray tube devices, essentially, and they separate charges. So he separated the charges in the atom, came up with the plum pudding model. I think that's about, he did lots of other stuff too, but moving on for our purposes, Niels Bohr and Ernest, Ernest Rutherford, that's Bohr, that's Rutherford, finally built on Thompson's work of these charges and, he, and said that no, no, this is not the plum pudding model. An atom is nothing like a plum pudding or some sort of solid substance. An atom is mainly empty space with the distances between the nucleus and the electrons that orbit it being vast, outrageously vast, actually. And they talked about the electrons orbiting the nucleus in a prescribed manner. And later on, they understood that this was with specific energies. Which brings us to... Max Planck, who is the, the star of quantum mechanics. He did not understand the ultraviolet catastrophe. Why does temperature not go up infinitely as wavelength decreases? He puzzled over it for a long time, and he actually uh, has a quote, which I couldn't find, but I wanted to find it. Um, he was studying on Christmas Eve, and he wrote this quote saying, I finally understood it, quantum mechanics, uh, everything is quantized, but this was an act of desperation on my part. I really don't want to believe this. It doesn't make any sense to me. So he was very upset by his discover of quantum mechanics, but nonetheless, father of quantum mechanics he is. Uh, he basically showed that photons can only have the discrete energy values um, as multiplied by in going up energy levels with Planck's constant. And this is responsible for color. This is why we see certain things at certain colors. Certain atoms have distinct specific energies, and when photons are emitted or absorbed in those atoms, specific colors are produced. And this brings us sort of full circle with quantum theory and understanding light, the electromagnetic spectrum. So I think that's really all I wanted to cover on this today. Um, before moving on, so with your assignment, please take a look at it. A lot of the stuff that I just said and talked about does have to do with the assignment. Um, and also, I welcome your feedback. I do want to know how you feel you're doing and, and if anything can be improved or changed in the course. 
Um, along those lines, I mentioned class representatives. So in the natural science division, we always uh, ask for a couple of students to be class reps. And the class reps um, organize study sessions. And, and if you're afraid to come to me, that's totally understandable. Uh, you can actually speak with your class rep if you have any concerns about the course. And they will convey that either to me or to the department. So I'd like to um, introduce our class reps because I put out a call for class reps. And I do have two very kind volunteers. So we have BJ over there and Kenneth. So BJ and Kenneth are your class reps. Um, please find them if you wish to make a point of something. Um, I also, with their permission, will post their emails on the um, Moodle site. That, that's okay with both of you? Okay, so if you need to contact your class rep, go ahead. But if you need to contact me, please do not be afraid to contact me. Questions, remember, I don't have a specific office hour, but I will meet with you if we arrange a time uh, for extra help. And also take advantage of the MADE and NATS, or MAID, Math Aid and NATS, which is a service with graduate students in the sciences who are TAs for natural science courses who will walk you through math problems and help you review if you're sort of a little bit rusty on calculations. And uh, so it is going to be kind of a, a short lecture today. The last thing that we're going to cover is relating all of this quantum mechanical stuff and atomic structure to color. Coming back to this again. Atomic theory and color intersect with spectroscopy. And if you remember what spectroscopy is, spectroscopy is essentially, for lack of a better way of putting it, taking a photograph of the light emitted or absorbed by a sample of matter. Spectroscopy tells us how and under what conditions, as in what temperature, um, distances and such, how and under what conditions a substance, usually we're talking about a gas, because recall the lecture on temperature, we said substances change state. At very low temperatures, think of water, they tend to be solids. You heat it up a little bit, you get liquid water, and if you boil the liquid water in a kettle, you, it evaporates, you get um, water vapor or steam. So that's really, 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 really hot water. Basically, it's the same thing with gases. Uh, normally, we're talking about a spectrum of a gas because it means the object, whatever it is, the sample of element is very, very hot. So it's in a gaseous state. So how and under what conditions a substance emits or absorbs, because it can have two behaviors. It can take in the radiation, absorb it, or send it out, emit it. And it also tells us what the spectrum looks like. So these kinds of diagrams. It also shows us emission and absorption lines. It tells us as well about the temperature of the object, specifically the temperature of distant 
objects like stars, which are essentially very, very distant. We have no way of getting to them with current technology. Distant hot balls of gas, you observe them, and you have a spectroscopic analysis of them, and then you can see the temperature and the color. So. Just going back uh, to quantum mechanics, we were tying in quantum mechanics with color, and we said that's spectroscopy. If you are interested a little bit to hear more about the quantum mechanics timeline and all of the discoveries that I did a, a brief review of, take a look at this Wikipedia article. It's very complete. Um, and that gives you the full timeline of, of quantum mechanics, which will apply to color. And I just couldn't resist putting this picture up. Somebody took a picture of a, a Goethe portrait with, a, with their phone in front of it. Looks like he's looking at the phone. I, I like that. Okay, so um, eye clicker. Time for eye clicker again. Okay. I will wait a few moments, get everybody logged in. So, which types, which three types? of spectra have we discussed? Is it, let's start this off here, is it absorption, transcendence, or occidental spectrums? Emission, absorption, or caloric? Emission, absorption, or continuous? Or partial emission and absorption? Give you a couple more seconds. Some phones or devices are slower than others. My phone is ancient and it will not cooperate with uh, the app. So hopefully your phones are behaving. Okay, uh, I'm gonna stop this now. And uh, yes, all of you pretty much are correct. We have looked at emission absorption and continuous spectra. Let's take another look at, a, at another question to just clarify that. I think it looks to be pretty clear to everyone, but next question. The picture below, this picture is a or an so what spectrum? Absorption, emission, or continuous? more moments. Okay, I'm going to turn this off now. Everybody's okay. And uh, again, everyone is pretty much correct. This is an emission um, spectrum as evidenced by the fact that the background is black, meaning that, that everything is absorbed. There's no light. 
and the bright lines that you see are emission lines at certain wavelengths of light which denote the presence of certain chemical elements at a certain temperature. So this is an emission spectrum. And I don't think, I was not sure if, how everybody would react to that. So I think the next kind of questions are a little redundant, but we'll do them anyway. Why not? Okay, so the picture below is a, or an, what spectrum, absorption, emission, or continuous. seconds. All right. It, I'm going to stop. And it is, um, it is indeed an absorption spectrum. You can see here that all the colors, whoops, all the colors of light are present in the background, but there are black gaps where certain ones are missing. And this is because those wavelengths of light have been absorbed. And finally, okay, this one, if you don't get this one, you have to get this one. Okay, the picture below is a what spectrum? Okay, good. I am going to stop now. Um, and yes, it is a continuous spectrum. All the colors of light are there. So why am I putting you through this sort of a drill? Because we're going to talk about Kirchhoff's laws next. We talked about these three things, emission, absorption, absorption, and continuous spectra already. And we talked about some of the conditions that they happen under, but not in detail. Kirchhoff's laws are basically just telling you under what conditions you get an absorption spectrum, an emission spectrum, or a continuous spectrum. It's, it's that um, straightforward. So Kirchhoff's laws. Kirchhoff's, let's call them Kirchhoff's gas laws. Results. I'm just going to close this for a second. All right. Kirchhoff's gas laws, there are three of them for each one of the spectra, for an emission, absorption, and, and continuous spectra. So Kirchhoff looked at a, he said, a hot black body. And recall the definition of a black body. A black body is not a real object. It's a theoretical object that behaves as in it absorbs all of the incident light upon it. So it is black. It absorbs all of the light, but it emits radiation at a very, very high temperature, probably at a wavelength we cannot see physically with our eyes, so therefore no color. No, no color in the visible spectrum. 
When you have a hot black body, let's say this were a tungsten filament in a light bulb, you have a hot black body, you direct the light, you collimate it or direct it through a prism. If you have a compact hot gas that's under a lot of high pressure that's packed in tight, you will get all colors radiated from it. It's like your white light bulb. It's compact, it's under a lot of pressure, it is um, hot body, black body, hot gas, under pressure gives you continuous spectrum. Law one, that's law one, that's when you get all the colors. Law two, I kind of blacked out this diagram a little bit because I find it a little bit confusing. I know what it's trying to say, but it it's, makes it look like if you see the original diagram that it's going through the, the, the uh, cloud, but anyway, what the second law says is if you have the same hot black body or if you have under lower pressure you get an emission line spectrum. So let's say you have hot gas. Remember in the first example it was under high pressure, it was compact. So in the second example you still have the same hot gas but it's more diffuse. It's under lower pressure, it spreads out. And what you get in that case, if you're looking at the light from it, is an emission line spectrum. And finally, if you have this black body, the high pressure black body, and you put a cloud of cooler gas in front of it, then you get your absorption line spectrum. So to summarize, When do you get which spectrum is determined by Kirchhoff's laws of radiation? So law one, sufficiently hot gas, it has to be hot enough that it glows, sufficiently hot gas under high pressure, like compact source like this, produces a continuous spectrum of all colors of light. Just think of a light bulb in that case. Law two is a hot gas that is under lower pressure or it's not confined to this light bulb area to a container. It spreads out in space so the pressure is lower. That gives you an emission spectrum. And finally, a cold gas. If you have your black body source like your light bulb and you place a cold cloud of gas in front of it, then the light that you get is an absorption spectrum. So we, we kind of did this before a little bit, but I didn't define things in this way and I didn't call it Kirchhoff's laws. But these are Kirchhoff's laws uh, and fundamental to really understanding science, understanding temperature, understanding color. So that's where we, we will leave off today and have a good, good weekend.